Letter 12 of Letters from Hell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letters from Hell by Valdemar Adolf Thisted. Translated by L.W.J.S. Letter 12. I have been to the post office. That institution also is represented here, as I found out quite recently. Truly nothing is wanting in this place except all that one needs in order to live and to hope. I had gone to inquire for letters. There is something very curious about this post office of ours. You have heard of what befell Uriah. There have always been people who, betraying their neighbor, have done so by writing. But the invention is older even than that notorious letter, originating, no doubt, with the father of lies in the first place. It was he who inspired that piece of treachery, just as he inspired Judas' kiss. Treason by writing is known all over the world now. There are those who delight in the cleverness of such a letter, quite priding themselves on the art of taking in their fellows. Be it known, then, that every such letter goes to hell at the expense of the writer, to be called for sooner or later, not by the person to whom it is addressed, but by the sender. Some few cases excepted, King David's to begin with, where true repentance cancels the writing. That is the meaning of our post office, and I assure you it is most humiliating to be seen there, for even here one perceives the meanness of such correspondence the writer's punishment consisting in having to read it over and over again to his lasting confusion. I somehow could not rest till I had been to inquire for letters. To my great relief, there were none for me. Bad as I was, I had after all never been a downright Judas, and I felt ready to give thanks for that assurance. I had no real satisfaction in the feeling. Still, for a moment, it seemed I had. But such letters are not all. There are spurious documents and false signatures here more than can be counted. Let men beware how they put pen to paper. Writing has a terrible power of clinging to the soul. None but God himself can blot it out. I never knew more than two people capable of teaching me patience. My mother and Lily. Lily's influence over me being the stronger by far. My mother's props were propriety and duty, but Lily moved me with that wonderful goodness of hers, that sunny warmth that emanated from her loving heart. In the exuberance of masculine strength, I often inclined to be violent and overbearing, ill-brooking opposition and delighting in conquering obstacles, yielding to the absolutely impossible only with clenched fists. Submissiveness did not grace my nature. That indomitable spirit of mine would break out at times on our memorable journey to the South. But on that journey, also, Lily's power over me was fully apparent. I was learning from her daily without knowing it, nor did she know it, unconscious as she was of her soul's beauty. Patience was one of the many good things to which she led me. We had reached the Lucerne, intending to go over the St. Gotthard to Italy. I wanted Lily to have the full enjoyment of crossing the Alp, 
there being, to my mind, nothing more beautiful than the sudden transition from the austere north to the genial, life-expanding south, and passing by the Gotthard, or the Splugen, or the Simplon, one can gather the fullness of all Italy into one day, as it were. The weather at Lucerne was most unfavorable, and kept us waiting full eight days. I chafed. Morning after morning, Lily and I went to the great bridge to have a look at the sky, but little sky we saw. Everything was mist and spray, hiding all prospect of lake or mountaintop. My vexation was boundless. Day after day, the same miserable lookout. I thought them wretched, those excursions after breakfast, but their memory is sweet. Lily was leading me up and down that queer old bridge, a wild animal in chains. It needed but the pressure of her soft little hand, and my grumblings were silenced. How clever she was, how ingenious even, in amusing me. Traveled folk will remember that old-fashioned structure spanning the roofs. It is covered, and the spaces between the woodwork that supports the roof are filled with unique paintings, both naively conceived and grotesquely executed. She was suddenly stopped now in front of this picture, now in front of that, her delightful remarks again and again restoring my good humor. The weather cleared at last, to our great satisfaction. We had gone to the bridge earlier than usual, when suddenly the mist parted, revealing the dazzling mirror from shore to shore, and rolling upward, the curtain disclosed the mountain scenery, so lovely, so grand. We stood spellbound, watching the transformation, the splendid expanse of water from which the country rises, height upon height, mountain upon mountain, the great Alps behind them lifting their virgin whiteness in the radiant air. The following morning, then, we started at sunrise, crossing the lake and thinking hopefully of the Gotthard. The boatman doubted the weather, but we hoped for good fortune, enjoying the present which had steeped all nature in floods of light. How beautiful it is! How surpassingly beautiful! That alpine scenery lifting you into high regions still and pure. The first alpine rose nearly cost me my life. It was for Lily. We drove and walked alternately. It was a day the memory of which sank into the soul. As the sun went down, we passed through the wild, dark glens that led to the valley of Urcern, the restful beauty of which, so simple yet sublime, opens up before you as though earth glorified were a fact already. We passed the night in the little town of Andermatt. The following morning, what a change! The boat people had been right. Snow covered the ground, a storm swept the valley. My impatience was, by this fresh delay, stung to frenzy. One day passed, another, a third. We continued weather-bound. To take it quietly was impossible to me. I set out upon several expeditions by myself to explore the neighborhood, fraught with danger to life and limb, though they were. Lily, fearful lest anything should befall me, entreated me to abstain, and to please her I yielded. How sweetly she set herself to reward me. What none could have done, she did, making the time pass pleasantly, and teaching me patience. She took me about the little town visiting the people. The houses and the cottages seemed all open to her, and the simple folk received her like an old friend. 
Now, it had an interest of its own, no doubt, to become acquainted with the home life of these alpine retreats. But after all, Lily was the center of all I saw and heard. And how should it have been otherwise, when she was a sunbeam gliding from house to house, unutterably lovely in her unconscious sympathy, calling up smiles wherever she went, and leaving a blessing behind her? I am sure the people thought so, feeling the better for having seen her. Poverty brightened on beholding her, and suffering lessened. She seemed welcome everywhere. It was marvelous. An ordinary observer would have said, Yes, such is the power of youth and beauty. But a deeper fascination went out from her, since hers were higher graces known to God. The involuntary sojourn against all expectation yielded its own gain, enriching life as with an idol brought home to our minds in that alpine solitude. Not that I ceased fretting at the delay. One evening I asked Silly, How can you make yourself so contentedly glad in this wretched place when we might be spending days of delight beyond? Oh, she said, it is not difficult. Even though we are kept here against our will, and the place seems dull and desolate with the gray mists about us, yet I know that there is beauty awaiting us on the other side of the mountain. A few days only, a few hours even, and we may be there. She was growing thoughtful. Philip, she continued presently, does it not remind you of life itself? The world often seems cold and dreary, not yielding the sunny warmth one craves. But then we do know that paradise is beyond, the true home prepared for us in the house of our Heavenly Father. As yet, there is a mountain between us and the place beyond, the mount of crucifixion, of denying ourselves. It is for us to pass it, and then we do reach home, where earth's troubles are all left behind. And before long, we did find ourselves on that other side, resting from the journey in a charming villa on the bank of Lago Maguar. Lily and I were sitting in a pillared hall, listening to the soft cadence of the waters and enjoying an indescribably enchanting view of the island-dotted lake. Mountains framed the picture beyond, rising higher and higher, earth vanishing into sky, the most distant heights scarcely to be distinguished from the white clouds on the sunny horizon. From seeming midwinter, we had reached the perfection of a genial clime. Lily's hands twined white roses and myrtles, which she had gathered about the place. She played with the flowers, now wreathing them, now unwreathing them. There was a bridal purity about those children of the South, and Lily was herself the sweetest of blossoms. My heart burned. I longed to seize the hands that held the flowers and cover them with kisses, but a holy power forbade me. Ever and again I felt as though some angel were standing between Lily and myself. What are you thinking of? I asked, my voice betraying my emotion. I, she said gently, lifting her soft gaze, and my heart was stilled. I am thinking of that poor dark mountain valley we left behind. The memory of it seems to enhance the beauty we now enjoy, deepening its riches and our sense of them. And feeling thus, I cannot but bless the time spent on the other side of the dividing mountain, though it seemed gloomy and cold, and the longing was great. Don't you think, Philip, that one day, when we have reached heaven, we shall be looking back with similar feelings upon the troubled times we may have spent on earth? 
I think we shall, and that we shall be able to bless them if we now accept them in patience and in hope. Looking to God and His dear Son, their memory will even add to the bliss prepared for us. A strange sensation crept through me at these words of Lily's, a holy tremor, I might call it, but fraught with pain. Should I be looking back some day from the fields of glory, back upon life on earth? Ah, what a life! I would mend my ways, indeed I would, but I never succeeded in climbing that mountain of which Lily had spoken, the mountain of crucifixion. Its weight, on the contrary, is now upon me, crushing me to all eternity. A journey through Italy for a man of my description may well be called a trial of patience. Custom house officers, luggage porters, guides, hotel keepers, and the whole tribe of beggars swarm about you like persecuting wasps. The miserable greed of that class of Italians, with their constant attempts at cheating you, was more than I could brook. I often felt ready to thrash every mother's son of them that came in my way. But here also Lily was my saving angel. Having frightened her to tears once by an outbreak of passion, I felt so sorry at having grieved her that I was ready to submit all traveling affairs to her decision, satisfied she should guide me, another Una leading the lion. She needed only to place her hand on my arm, looking at me with her beseeching eyes, and I was conquered, no matter what had been the provocation. She understood, none better than she, how to deal with the meanness that roused me. Blessings followed her where I met but imprecation. Blessings indeed seemed to grow up about her path wherever she went, and the blessing included me. I was growing better, I felt it, but it must have been a delusive feeling after all, for my heart was never changed. End of Letter 12 Read by Mark Randall Stevens, Yakima, Washington, March 20th, 2023. Thank you for listening. And if you like this, please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group, Jesus Answers Prayer. May God bless your day.